we started a sermon series called Investigated Reports. Uh, one of my favorite things I love to do in my spare time, I don't get a lot of spare time, but one of the things I love to watch is investigated reports or cold case files. You know, how, you know, Felicia got with Willie and they had a great marriage and, uh, you know, and um, Willie got jealous of Felicia and he put antifreeze in her fruit loops, you know, and, and then she dies and, and then the whole time you think, you know, Billy did it, but no, Billy didn't do it. Willie did it. You know what I'm saying? And so the whole time you're thinking somebody else did it. And I love those cold case files and I love those, uh, investigated reports. Now I don't get any enjoyment out of the corruption. I do like to sit there and try to figure out who did what and the motive behind it. How many could, how many's watched those shows before? All right. And so, um, uh, so I'm going to be an investigator and I'm going to go into the Bible and I'm going to see if there's any investigated reports that I could do and some stories that I could bring out and that we can dissect together and that we can investigate together, uh, of some stories. Last week we dealt with, uh, Cain and we dealt with his life and we dealt with what the way of Cain was and, and why Cain killed his brother. And there was some clues about Cain's life that gave us indications of why he killed his brother. And so if you hadn't had a chance to listen to that sermon, you can go to our Facebook, uh, Christ point, um, our Facebook page and listen to that sermon of last week. But this week I'm going to deal with another story and I'm going to bring out some clues because I'm going to be an investigator and I'm going to bring out some clues about this individual that I find interesting. So if you're taking notes, you're welcome to take notes. You don't have to, but I ask you and encourage you this morning to open up your hearts and to listen to what I believe the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you. Now, listen, I believe it has the potential to change your life. If you will open up your heart and you will listen clearly and you will listen distinctly, I believe it can change your life. And so this morning we're going to look at a demon possessed man in the book of Mark chapter number five, beginning with verse number one. Now I'm not going to deal with demon possession. I'm going to deal with some clues in his life to indicate to us some things that we need to change as well. The Bible says in Mark chapter five, if you don't have a Bible, you can look behind me on the screen and I want you to look at it. Mark chapter five and verse number one, listen to the gospel according to Mark. Then they came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs, who no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains have been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him. Always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus afar off, he worshipped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he said to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Then he asked him, What is your name? And he answered and said, My name is legion for we are many and he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out into the country or one translation says the abyss now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains 
So all of the demons begged him, saying, Send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirit went out and entered into the swine, for there were about 2,000. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. So those who fed the swine fled and told them in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed, who had the legion, setting, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. Then they began to plead with him to depart from the region. They pleaded with him to depart from the region. So my investigated report this morning is the manic the manic. Father, we thank you for your word today. Open our ears and our hearts that we would hear your word. Let your word go forth in power and boldness. And everyone said a great big amen. When you look at the New Testament, the New Testament is fascinating. Do you know why I believe the New Testament is fascinating? Because the first few books of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're all books written about the life and teachings of Jesus. And a part of the teaching of Jesus is that Jesus healed the sick and he delivered those who were demonically oppressed. The accounts that's found in the Gospels were written to verify who Jesus is. Jesus is the Son of God. And that is why the Gospels were written to prove to us and to verify with us that Jesus is who he said he is. Jesus is the Son of God. How many would raise your hand and agree with the testimony of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that Jesus is who he said he is? And isn't that, isn't that the issue of our postmodern society? The secular society that we live in right now, the issue is who do men say that Jesus is? Isn't that what Jesus asked Peter? Who do men say that I am? Peter said, well, some say you're this. Some say you're a prophet like unto Elisha or a prophet like unto Jeremiah. And Jesus looked at Peter and said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that, my friends and brothers and sisters, is the key to the New Testament. You must believe in all of your heart that Jesus is who he said he is. Either Jesus is a liar, either Jesus is a lunatic, or is either Jesus is the Son of God. And my friends, I had an experience as a child to testify that Jesus is who he said he is. He is the Son of God. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are eyewitnesses of the story and the life and the testimony of Jesus Christ. And they were written to verify that Jesus is who he said he is that Jesus is the Son of God. And that is the same story that you find in the book of Acts chapter 8 of the Ethiopian eunuch. You remember the story. He went down to the river and the preacher said, do you believe with all your heart that Jesus 
is the Son of God. And what did the Ethiopian eunuch say? He said, I certainly believe he is the Son of God. And what did the preacher do? The preacher Philip baptized him underwater and he come up out of the water. You must believe Jesus is who he said he is. Now some people are going to argue with you and some people won't believe that. But as a Christian, you have to believe the testimony of the New Testament that Jesus is who he said he is. And isn't it interesting to me as a student of the word of God that the New Testament verifies that Jesus has power over demons, he has power over death, and he has power over disease. I'm going to say that again. Jesus as the son of God, it's, it's written as a testimony that Jesus has power over demons, he has power over death, and he has power over disease. Hallelujah. Do you know why I know that to be true? Because the Bible testifies to the fact. You know, the story I just read to you is found in Mark chapter number five. It is the manic, the demon-possessed man. That story was written in the New Testament to prove to us that Jesus is who he said he is, and Jesus has power over the supernatural realm, and Jesus has power over the devil, and Jesus has power over every demon. And I don't know why some of you are scared of the devil. Jesus has already conquered the devil with a stick called the cross. And there is no reason why you need to tuck your tail and run from the devil. You have all power in your hand. Jesus has delegated power to you. Jesus said to the disciples, behold, I give unto you power that you would tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing by any means shall hurt you. I'm telling you today, the devil is a defeated foe. Jesus beat the devil up with two sticks. There's no reason why you need to be afraid of the devil. The story was written to prove to us that Jesus has power over demons. Hallelujah. I remember a few years ago at my first church, some guy came, knocked at my door. I opened the door. He's shaking like this. I said, can I help you? He said, I think the devil's in me. I said, well, you could have said good morning at least. I brought him in my house. He says, I've been searching. I went here, went there. Nobody could help me. Could you help me, preacher? I set him down, got my Bible, opened up my Bible, and began to declare the word of God to this man. I'm telling you today, the word of God in the name of Jesus still has power. And the reason why some people are not free even though they use the name of Jesus, they're still not free. Because just quoting the name of Jesus don't free nobody. You gotta carry the name of Jesus. You can't be the you can't be on the the love boat on Saturday night and expect to ride the lifeboat on Sunday morning. The devil knows what you did up under the covers on Saturday night, and you can't be come up in the church house trying to use the name of Jesus casting devils out. I'm preaching better than you're shouting. Somebody better throw your head up and say, preach on preacher. You cannot be breaking his principles and be claiming his promises. The devil knows who you are. The devil said to, said to the disciple, Paul I know and Apollos I know, but who are you? The devil knows who you are. This story 
was written to prove that Jesus has power over demons. But, you know, as I was reading the Bible, because something happened as I was reading the Bible, it dawned on me in the same chapter, Mark chapter 5 and verse number 21. Just look at it. Mark chapter number 5 and verse number 21. What was the story after the story of the demon-possessed man? After the story of the demon-possessed man, in Mark chapter 5 and verse number 21, the Bible says that Jesus gets off of the boat. In verse number 22, some rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And what does the Bible say? And Jairus began to plead with him, my little daughter is at the point of death come and lay your hands on her on her you see what's happening this story was written in the gospels to prove to us that Jesus has power over death not only does Jesus have power over demons but Jesus also has power over death because what happened to Jairus's daughter Jairus's daughter died because in the meantime a woman with the issue of blood who was infected by a disease was trying to get through the crowd and touch the hem of his garment and when she touched the hem of his garment she was completely made well but in the meantime Jairus's daughter died because Jesus was late so the point of Mark chapter 5 was written to prove to us that Jesus not only has power over demons but Jesus has power over death and Jesus has power over disease is there anybody in the building? I just need about 50 of you that still believe the testimony of the book of Mark that Jesus has all power in his hands. He has power over every demon. He has power over every sickness. He has power over every cancer. He has every power. Oh my God. He has power. The gospels were written to verify who Jesus is. That's why they were written. He has power over demons, power over death, and power over disease. And as you read the scriptures, it brings encouragement to know that Jesus brings power over these areas. As I was reading the Bible, oh, the Holy Ghost... I want to tell you what the Holy Spirit said. It's you've got to put the scriptures together as like a piece of a puzzle. Sometimes when you read the Bible, we want to read it out of sync with the scripture before and the scripture after. You know, we like to take those scriptures out of context. But the Bible is a narrative. It's a story. It's a story of redemption. It's the story. The New Testament tells us the life and teachings of Jesus. The epistles tells us how to run the church. The book of Revelation tells us of those things that shall come to pass. You have the, the gospels, the teachings of Jesus. You have a history book called the book of Acts. You have the epistles, which is the writings to the church. And then you have Revelation, which is an apocalyptic book of those things which shall come to pass. And when you look at the gospels, the gospels are, although they are synoptic, it's collective. It, it's a narrative of the whole picture of what God is trying to do. And it's interesting to me in 
Mark chapter 4 and verse number 35. Now get this. Mark chapter 4 and verse number 35. This is the story before the story I just read to you. The story of the manic, the demon-possessed man is in chapter number 5. But if you go back one chapter, you will find that Jesus is in a storm. Verse 35, on the same day when the evening has come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now there was a great multitude and they took him along on the boat as he was and the other little boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose and the winds beat in the boat and so that it was already feeling. Verse number 38, but he was in the storm in the stern asleep on the pillow and they awoke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the sea wind and he said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Do you know what I believe? Why I believe this story is also recorded in the gospels? Because the writer who is Mark is trying to tell us that the story of the boat in the storm symbolizes what's getting ready to happen in Mark chapter 5. Because Mark chapter 4 is a physical storm, an external storm, but Mark chapter 5 is an internal storm with a demon-possessed man. Do you see the connection here? The Bible says in verse number 37, there was a great windstorm. It arose and the winds beat against the boat. How many knows this man in Mark chapter 5? There was a storm on the inside of him and it was a violent storm. Mark chapter 4 verse 37, this is a violent storm. This is a windstorm. This is a very violent storm. But in Mark chapter 5, this man is in a violent storm internally. Isn't it amazing that Jesus stands up in the storm? And what does Jesus do in verse number 39? Mark 4, verse 39, Jesus gets up and rebukes the wind. And what happens? There was a great calm. There was a great calm. Isn't that interesting? Because the Bible says in Mark chapter number 5, Mark chapter number 5, and verse number 15. Mark chapter number 5, verse 15. And the Bible says, Mark 5, verse 15, then it came to Jesus and they saw the one who had been demon possessed, who had a legion. He was sitting and clothed in his right mind and they were afraid. What are you saying, pastor? I'm saying in Mark chapter four, there was a severe windstorm, but Jesus got up and calmed the wind and the waves and there was a great calm. In Mark chapter five, there's a great storm, not externally, but internally, a great storm on the inside of him. But what did Jesus do? Jesus rebuked the devil out of the man and the man became calm like the storms became calm in chapter number five. He was so calm that he sat down in his right mind and right clothes and he was sitting at the feet of Jesus. That's how you know you've been transformed when you can sit at the feet of Jesus. <laughs> Hallelujah. So the story is a narrative of all the pieces of the puzzle being put together. In the story, there's the lies that the devil want to tell you. I want to tell you a few lies that the devil told this man, this manic man who was demon-possessed. He was so possessed. The Bible says that chains couldn't even hold him. 
He was naked and cutting himself in the tombs. This man had a raging storm on the inside of him. Luke chapter 8 is another story. It's the same story with different details. It says he was alone in the, in the graveyard, in the tombs, cutting himself. They tried to bind him up, but it didn't work. Jesus asked him, what is your name? It's Legion. Legion represents 6,000. 6,000 demons was in this man. This man, my friends, had a windstorm. He had a storm on the inside of him, and he was not calm. He was cutting himself. He was roaming at night through the tombs. He was naked. He was possessed. He was possessed. But that's what the devil wants to do to us. There's four clues in the story to tell us that the devil lied. Number one, the first clue that you have is that the devil will tell you that you are all alone, that you are on your own in life. Because isn't that what the devil does? He tells you that it's not worth living any longer. He tells you that it's you should just be by yourself. You tried it and it didn't work. Nobody really cares. And that's exactly what the devil will do to you. He will tell you just stay home from church because nobody really cares if you show up anyway. The devil will lie to you and tell you that isolation is better than community. And the very first step that you know that you are swaying from the Gospels is when you isolate yourself from the community of faith. A departure from the Bible is a departure from God. People say, well, I'll just stay home. I've been hurt. That means you're departing from the Gospel. God has called you to be a part of a community. And the Bible says this man was dwelling among tombs. He could, nobody could bind him. He, he was in a position of death. He was in a position of isolation. He had an unclean spirit. He was in an unclean place, which it was a graveyard. And these people in the Gadarenes had pigs. So they had an unclean occupation. He was surrounded by uncleanliness. He was in isolation. And that's what the devil wants to lie. The devil wants to lie to you and say, you're better off if you're by yourself. You're better off if you stay secluded by yourself. Don't listen to the enemy. You don't know how many times as a pastor in my 20 years of pastoring that the devil has deceived people to tell them it's better to be by yourself than to be involved. You cannot support that with scripture. Nowhere. Some people are sick. Some people are unable to come. That's understandable. Some people have jobs. They can't come. That's understandable. But when you're physically able to come and you're, you can come, you should come and be a part of a community. Why is that important? Listen to this preacher. Because God is a community. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit lives together in endless ages of community. And that is the example that you and I should follow. Number two, do you know what the devil will lie to you and tell you? That boundaries will hurt you. They put boundaries on this man. They bind him up with chains. Why did they bind him up with chains? Because he was hurting himself. 
but he broke the chains. He broke the boundaries. Let me tell you something. If you're going to have a healthy relationship in your marriage, if you're going to have a healthy relationship at church, if you're going to have a healthy relationship with the community, if you're going to have a healthy relationship with anyone, there always should be boundaries. You know what you can and what you cannot do. Boundaries are to protect you, but never let walls be a boundary. Some people put walls up and call it boundaries. It's not. That's an excuse for you to be isolated. Boundaries don't keep you from people. You may not, people may hurt you. People may do things to you. That doesn't mean you have to be reconciled to them, but it doesn't mean that you have to have a wound-looking fest and isolate yourself from the community. Boundaries hurt you. That's what the devil say. Boundaries will hurt you. Isn't that where we're living right now in society? It seems like people don't have boundaries. They do what they want to do. Say what they want to say. Say what's on their mind. On Facebook the other day, after the Republican National Convention, they showed a video of people protesting in the streets, effing this and effing that and throwing things and hitting things and stabbing people. And I put on the comment that this was evil. Within two minutes, I had about two or three other people send me a message and say, you are judging me, and how in the world can you judge me? You see, that's the culture that we live in. We cannot fix evil with evil. We cannot fix injustice with injustice. People have worshipped their opinions, and so therefore their opinions are their gods. Before you are a Republican and before you are a Democrat, Christ's point, you are a Christian. You are a Christian. I have never seen such childish behavior in my life. I've never seen so many people getting offended and leaving the church over ridiculous things. God is not raising up a babysitting service in Galena. He's raising up an army of believers. And you've got to learn how to get in the foxhole, baby, and learn how to fight. If you're going to get offended over everything, then you need to join the parade down the street and wear your spandex and wave your ban banner flags. But if you're going to be an army, you got to learn how to fight. You got to learn how to be strong. You got to learn how to be courageous. Never seen. Now I'm preaching to the church down the street. Society is raising up men who are nothing but sissies. God's calling us to be Christians and men and women of God who refuses to back down under the spirit of compromise in this postmodern society. That we learn how to stand up for truth and for the name of Jesus and for his church in spite of the obstacles and hindrances in front of us because we're going to testify like Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen. 
This is not the time for you to be slacking on your church attendance. Some of you used to be real faithful, but now you're just barely making it to church. It's time that we pull up our big bear pants and learn that this is a generation where we can't play games any longer. Do you not see what's happening in the world? That this is not the season to get offended, and this is not the season to make excuses, but this is the season to plant and say, I refuse to be potted any longer. I'm going to be planted in the house of God. Now, I love you guys. I'm not mad or upset. I just get really excited. We got a lot of we got a lot of passive aggressiveness preaching and we got a lot of playboys in the pulpit. I'm not a playboy. I'm not no GQ man. I'm not going to stroke your ego. I'm a preacher of the gospel and I got to tell you the way it is. Got to just tell you the way it is. Because listen, the reason I got to tell you the way it is, it's getting hard. There's a lot of pressure. Churches are shutting their doors. Some churches can't even have church because they went under financially. I'm so glad. I don't know why, but God has been good to us. Not one time did we ever not pay a bill. Matter of fact, we paid everything way before it was ever due. I don't know why God chose us, but I just got to throw my hands up and say that, God, you've been good to me in the wilderness. You've been good to me in famine. I don't, I, I can't just sit here with my arms folded, I gotta praise you in the midst of this famine. Make some of you uncomfortable, but you realize that when you get in the foxhole and you fought some devils, you know how to fight a devil here or there. The devil will lie to you. They will lie to you and say boundaries will hurt you. Number three, the devil will say, God can't be trusted. What did the demon say? He spoke through the man and said, are you going to torment us, Jesus? The devil will lie to you and say, God can't be trusted. He didn't heal your mama. He didn't heal your daddy. They were Christians. They were tithers and they still went bankrupt. The devil will lie to you and say, God can't be trusted. I'm not the author of their story. I'm responsible for my life. And what happened in their life is not a reflection on the sovereignty of God. Can I hear an amen? God can be true. Number four, we will say, well, in the end, gravity will win. It's no use to trying because my life's already going downhill. So I guess it'll just go on down. The pigs are already, they're already running downhill into the sea. That's how my life is. It's just going to go downhill. These are clues in the Bible that tell us this is what the devil does. He lies to you. 
He tells you that you should just live by yourself and be isolated from the community. He tells you that boundaries really hurt you. He tells you that a few years ago I was had a meeting with someone and, and said to them nicely, this is years ago, you don't know who they are, they don't go here, long time ago. I sat down and I said, sweetie, you're going to have to repent for having sex with somebody in my church that's not your husband. She gets up, throws the Bible, or th throws it on the floor. We had several meetings with her. This is the meeting I had with one other person. So she throws it, walks out the door, sends me this nasty text. How dare you correct me? Who do you think you are? Don't substitute, don't substitute pastoral correction for hurt. Baby, you didn't get hurt. You already hurt yourself. I'm trying to align your back. And sometimes alignment hurts. So, so that's what happens in the church. The pastor lovingly sets you down, talks to you about something you need to work on, and people leave. How dare you? And they classified as church hurt. Nobody hurt you, baby. You were looking for an excuse to give up anyway. If a man of God comes to you, a man of God who you trust, who speaks into your life, who is a man of prayer, who loves Jesus and comes to you in a spirit of humility and not cockiness or egotistical, but comes to you with a broken heart about something that you need to change and you refuse to listen to the man of God, then the Bible says you will heap upon yourself your own judgment. But that's what happens. That's what happens. People classify it as, I'm hurt by the church. And then they jump from one place to another place. They jump from one church to another church. I'm preaching better than you're shouting. And you know why they're jumping from one church to another church? Because they're looking for somebody to pat them on the back, to tell them it's going to be okay when it's not going to happen because God is saying, I need you to grow up. I need you to grow up. The Bible says in verse 17, I'm closing because I got four minutes and 35. Does that mean I've preached 35 minutes, Pastor Brandon? 33 minutes. I've decided, listen, if it takes a pizza 30 minutes, it shouldn't take me 50 minutes to preach. I'm going to try and get the pizza to you in at least 35 minutes. Is that all right? So wave that at me, Pastor Brandon. Listen, four, I got four minutes and what? How many thinks I can do it? How many thinks I can land this plane? Come on. Come on. What about over there? Y'all think I can land the plane? Now, the question is, I'm going to be real quick. Why did they ask him to leave? Look at verse 17. They pleaded with him after Jesus healed the man, cast the demon out of the man. And what happened to the man? He was clothed in his right mind, sitting at the feet of Jesus. That's discipleship. When you got your mind and you ain't crazy and you're sitting at the feet of Jesus, you know you're growing when you want to be with Jesus. 
Okay, so, so why did they ask him to leave? Why would you ask somebody to leave your town after he just rebuked the devil out of a man that was cutting himself? Why would you ask a man to leave after the man, Jesus, healed the man who was causing havoc in the graveyard? Can you imagine mothers and fathers walking past the graveyard and seeing a demon, naked, possessed man cutting himself? It is a relief of society for that man to have help. But they asked Jesus to leave. Number one, you know why I think they asked Jesus to leave? Number one, because a changed life costs too much. They got upset because when the demons came out of the man, where did the demons go? The demons went into the pigs, and the pigs went down the mountain into the water. And why did the pigs, why the pigs? The pigs was the economic system of the country there. They were raising pigs. They even, they even sacrificed pigs on their altars in in their foreign temples there. Look at history. Number one, they were used for worship. And number two, the pigs were also a source of income for people who were raising them. They were Gentiles. They ate pigs. It didn't matter to them. They wasn't Jews. So therefore, when these pigs, when the, the, the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs and guess what had happened? It destroyed the livelihood and the income and the religious system of that area. In other words, those people preferred pigs over the presence of God. They preferred pigs over the presence of God. And there are people today that prefer pigs over the presence of God. They work themselves 90 to 100 hours a week just to work. Listen, you can work and work and work and work and work, but if you don't put God first, you're going to work yourself down to the ground. Do you prefer the pigs or do you prefer the presence of God? A changed life cost them too much. And listen, if God is going to do something at this church, then we're going to have to be okay with people that don't look like us. We're going to have to be okay with people with tattoos and spiked hair, and there's nothing wrong with tattoos. Come on, somebody. And some of you, come on, we come to church, and they don't look like us. But listen, I want to grow a church of all different types of colors. I want to grow a church. It doesn't matter what you look like, what side of the fence you are. I don't care whether you're gay or straight or poor or rich, I want you to come to the house of God. If you're going to struggle, struggle here. Say, preacher, I'm struggling with my sexuality. Come to church. I'm struggling with hurt. Come to church. I don't know what to do. Come to church. I'm struggling with my marriage. Come to church. My God, don't listen to the devil and stay home. Get yourself to the house of God. And if we're going to grow a church, we're going to have to be okay with people who don't look like us and it might have to cost us a little money. I 
I tell you what I feel the anointing and the power of God up in this church house uh, hallelujah my time's up but can I just go ahead and run a little bit can I go ahead and shout a little bit say can I go ahead and lift my hands a little bit can I go ahead and say God do what you want to do God however you want to do it whenever you want to do it I want you to do it I'm tired of the pigs. I've had enough of the pig pen. How much longer are you going to stay in the pigsty? Insanity has been described doing the same thing over and over and over and expecting different results. It ain't working. Number two, do you know why they wanted them to leave? Because Jesus' power made them uncomfortable. He healed them. He was in their clean mind. He was in clean clothes, sitting at the feet of Jesus, and they didn't know what to do with the power of God. Listen, if we're praying for revival, shaky things might happen around here that make us uncomfortable. We might have people say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to give up the porn. Pray for me. I want to give up my cigarettes. Pray for me. I want to give up my pills. Pray for me. It might make us a little uncomfortable. Do you know what this story teaches us? That the kingdom of God breaks into our world in spite of our flawed institutions and individuals. That's what the story's about. That the kingdom of God has such power, it can break through things that are flawed. If you're looking for a perfect church, it ain't going to happen. Boy, I think I'm going to go to another church. They just don't sing. They don't preach like they used to. Go up to the church up there. Because it's not about location. It's about positioning. The kingdom of God wants to bust through flawed churches, flawed individuals, and flawed institutions. You don't have to be perfect because in God's economy, it is not perfection that matters. It's progress that matters.